review. It's first and inches. Our football team was like the kid that plays second French horn in the school band. We got to play better. That's why I don't read the newspaper. Because it's garbage. He had shoulder surgery on his elbow. Shoulder, shoulder, shoulder surgery on his elbow. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. Well, first of all, what kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. The kids are playing their tail off, and the coaches are screwing it up. If worms had machine guns, then birds wouldn't be scared of them. Down there, wide open's Gallon. They left him alone. Yeah, I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Did anybody see that? <laughs> A lesser athlete would have gone down. Sports fans to a week nine recap. I am Kevin Wise. This is Patrick Smith, and welcome to First and Inches, sponsored by Milwaukee Tool, nothing but heavy duty. Hello, Patrick. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Lazy Tuesday over here in Cincinnati. Yep, and just kind of a standard. Uh, blustery windy day here in Royal Oak Michigan um so we can get right into it here obviously a big week of football uh some expected results some unexpected results but not necessarily the huge upsets that we once thought there may be uh we can take a look back at our picks if you want to go first here sure also uh can't Start out without saying, hey, look at us both with winning weeks this time. Magical experience. I wouldn't count on that to continue. Uh, Me neither. Um, I ended up four and three on my seven. Um, I did not win my lock. I lost my lock on J.J. McCarthy's over in passing yards in the Michigan-Michigan State game. Michigan ran the ball a lot more than they passed, um, so did not win that one. Got some nice wins with North Carolina Kansas State blowout, Tennessee blowout, um, and took a couple losses on uh, Wake Forest. That was a tough one. Yeah, it's a good place to start because Wake Forest was my lock. Um, Terrible. Uh, Didn't see that coming. Um, However, it did take an absolute um, crazy game. I mean, the turnovers in that third quarter were absolutely insane. Wake Forest did have the lead um, at halftime, um, then proceeded by a, a crazy turn of events in that third quarter. So missed on wake. I also unfortunately missed on the uh, Ohio state cover. Uh, Penn state got me there right at the end. Um, and uh, I also missed on USC, USC having a little bit of trouble, a little more trouble with Arizona than I thought they would have. Um, pretty proud to say I connected on Notre Dame. I kind of saw that one coming that didn't surprise me. Um, I thought Syracuse wouldn't handle that very well two weeks in a row. And then um, these two back-to-back picks are just kind of lines 101. Um, I took Florida in the points and MSU in the points. And in those rivalry games, I mean, 23 and a half and 23 are just big numbers. I didn't get them by much, but um, again, I just think usually in those games, those those big numbers don't tend to hit. Um, And then I got Old Miss playing the pathetic um, 
football program that are the fighting Jimbo Fishers of uh, Texas A&M. Um, you know, whenever I feel bad about myself, I just remember that I'm not Texas A&M. It does make you feel a little bit better, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. You know, I'm starting to recognize a little bit of a trend in our picks here. I think you kind of like the underdogs a little bit. And man, I have a hard time staying away from the favorites. Yeah. And you know, the, the what's what's funny, though, is that if you looked at uh, who I cashed on, I didn't miss on an underdog. Notre Dame, Florida, MSU with the points. I got all of them. Um, the only favorite I got I hit on was Old Miss. USC, Wake Forest, and OSU let me down. You know, it's it's amazing when you're an uh, alumni from the University of Michigan, Ohio State in some way will find a way to still win the game and miss on your pick. You know, it's like uh, somehow the universe still punishes me for taking OSU 15. You know, it's just like they find a way. Yeah, and when you need them to beat somebody to help you climb up the conference standings, you'll never get it then. Only when it's right in your face right after Thanksgiving. Yep. Well, enough about us. Why don't we jump into some football? Um, I think if there's ever going to be a week in college football where we can talk about the ACC first, because there wasn't a ton that happened outside the uh, in the other conferences across college football, why don't we give the ACC a little uh, a little bonus here and let them start? Uh, yeah. Why don't we talk about Notre Dame and Syracuse? Um, this was a matchup that um, we'd both talked about a lot in the w- weeks leading up to it. Um, and like you said, with your pick, and uh, I was leaning that way but didn't pick it, we both kind of had our eyes on Notre Dame in this one as a chance uh, to to beat Syracuse. And um, I think you specifically in our preview called on a little luck of the Irish maybe, maybe time for a little luck to help out Notre Dame. How about a first play pick six, Kev? Yeah, uh, you know, you see that. Um, I'm flicking through different games, getting some other kind of work done here. And that, sh- that certainly makes you feel good, you know, to, to put uh, six on the board basically in the first couple seconds of the game, um, especially against the team in Syracuse that probably doesn't have the firepower to really come back. Obviously, their strength is running the football. And this is where I think this game kind of got away from them. Yeah, I mean, I think watching this game, I watched a little bit, uh, you know, as we talked about, I made my way to Ann Arbor for the night game. So I was bouncing around Ann Arbor a little bit, watched a little bit of college football throughout the day and watched a lot of college football afterwards. But Notre Dame, went once they got that lead, they just kind of showed out where they recruit better, where they're more talented, where they're as talented as anybody in the country, and that's in the trenches. The offensive line was dominant throughout this game. They ran the ball well. Both running backs for Notre Dame moved the ball effectively. Um, And they had some big holes. Um, I think where Notre Dame is not so good at is they just don't have a great quarterback. Drew Pine is okay. Um, But, you know, when you think about all these trades going on in the NFL at trade deadline, boy, would it be nice if Notre Dame could sell a little bit of guys, a little bit of their depth in the trenches maybe, and just get a stud quarterback to add to that team because it feels like that is really the only missing piece Notre Dame has. And we saw it against Syracuse. They're talented enough to beat teams in a lot of different ways. Um, They just have that one missing piece that I think is what's given them such a tough start to this season. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I would take it a step further and say they probably also just don't have the guys on the outside. Um, you know, you probably remember growing up, I was I was watching when they had Jeff Samarja, who I feel like, you know, never dropped the ball um, in his career. And the um, shark. Yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Michael Floyd was probably in college for sure. One of the, those kind of game breaker, good size on the outside, good speed would go up and moss people. Um, and just it just feels to me like Notre Dame just doesn't have those guys on the outside this season. Um, so combine that with no real playmakers on the outside and um, no big time quarterback. And it's just tough. You're one dimensional. I think that S- Estime is that am I saying this correctly? Probably not. But uh, yeah, I think you got it right. I think it's Estime. Um, you know, I think he's he's pretty good. And I think actually Notre Dame has some pretty good depth at running back as well. Um, Diggs can make some Diggs can make some plays as well. Um, and then Chris Tyree was kind of the guy when when he came in that everyone thought was going to be a stud and probably has underperformed a little bit, um, at least thus far. But their strength is definitely um, kind of like Michigan's. Um, what we've watched is, you know, bring the tight ends in. Michael Mayer is obviously probably their best player on both sides of the ball outside of Foskey and, um, you know, try to try to control the control the clock. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I boils down to great win for Notre Dame. This is a you know tough start to the season. Syracuse is certainly not a rollover by any means. I mean, coming in a really strong team, and Notre Dame played better than them from the beginning of the game through pretty much the end of the game. Um, and I thought that this was overall just a really impressive spot for Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, Big game against Clemson next week. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we'll, we'll see what um, Notre Dame is made of. I think people start wrote them off a little bit early, sitting at 5-3 and three right now. Um, some big games ahead of them. They can still make some noise um, and just they could have a successful first season for um, Freeman. I think that's still in front of them. Yeah, I mean, they still have a, a lot of room for improvement, growth, momentum in this first year. Um, and, hey, I mean, Syracuse gave Clemson a hell of a time. We'll talk about it a little more later this week, but um, Notre Dame beat Syracuse, so magical, transitive, third power properties and all. Notre Dame probably has a shot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think they are, they have a puncher's chance in this one for sure. All right, let's move on to kind of the exact opposite of this game, a game pitting Miami and Virginia. Not the scoreline we saw in Notre Dame, but in this one, we get eight total field goals and one two-point conversion in fourth overtime, leading Miami to a 14-12 to victory in four overtimes over Virginia. Yeah, and this is not last year's Virginia team. Um, we haven't talked a lot about Virginia, um, and that's probably because there's not a lot to talk about Um with the Cavaliers this year um, coming back, you, you would think that Brennan Armstrong would still be able to provide some level of offensive firepower in the passing game. That has not been the case. They've been pretty dreadful. Um, I forget what his numbers are, but he might have more interceptions than touchdowns. Um, it's, it's not looking good. Um, and then on, on the flip side, you know, Miami has to be up there with the top five or 10 most disappointing teams in the country this year, uh, you know, they obviously get a new coach like many did. Mario Cristobal was one of the bigger hires, um, you know, played it. Uh, Miami, uh, good recruiter, comes in and Miami's just looked terrible. Um, 
we talk about sometimes, you know, there's something to losing and there's something to losing when you just can't even watch the, t- the team that you root for. And that's where Miami's at somehow with, with Tyler Van Dyke coming back, who's supposed to be one of the better quarterbacks in the country. You know, Kevin, you always impress me. I don't know how you just found so many nice takes, interesting reads of this game that was 14, 12, and four overtimes. Um, <clears throat> I don't really have much to add to that. Um, other than this game started off with 10 punts in a row. 10 punts. 14 total punts in the game. This like might have been one of the worst games of all time. I'm certainly not going to go looking for worse games because that sounds like a devil's journey, but this game was awful. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, this, these are two you know bad teams right now. Um and, you know, I, I would rather watch a game that's 49-48 than this, for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, uh, that's that that's about it. You know, we hope that uh, Crystal Ball turns it around there for um, Miami, but it does not look good. And, you know, any more games like this, and he's going to not be in the hot seat yet, but put himself in a pretty poor position for next year, especially with um, probably some recruits. Um, with that, unfortunately, we will go to the next uh, ACC um, probably the most shocking result in my mind of the weekend, actually, um, Wake Forest 21, uh, Louisville 48, um, in a weird game in, in all the different ways. Um, so, you know, I locked in, uh, Wake Forest here on the road game was in Louisville. I think Sam Hartman is as good of a quarterback as there is in the country. You can look back. He does have these, um, I guess you can't call them a one-off anymore, but these performances, where all of a sudden he is just a turnover machine. Um, And, you know, that manifested itself here. Uh, It was a pretty good game going into halftime. Wake Forest was up 14-13. And then in the third quarter, uh, Louisville scores 35 points. Um, And Louisville in the game had eight sacks and forced eight turnovers. I forget exactly how many of them were in the third quarter, but it it was like two pick sixes, multiple fumble recoveries. Basically, the wheels absolutely fell off in the third quarter. Um, so, you know, we both missed on that, but it took a freak performance to do it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was just as close to locking this one in as as you were. Um, I think I got a little caught up in the Michigan game day energy and chose a Michigan pick, but um, I was right there with Wake because I was as sure that this was about as sure of a bet as there was on the board. Um, like you mentioned, this one, this train just fell off the tracks in the second half so hard. Their second half drives go pick six, fumble, fumble, interception, fumble, punt, pick six, fumble, interception, and they ended with a worthless touchdown. But like, holy cow, that is a ridiculous drive chart. Yeah, um, in, in all the worst ways. Um, you know, I did not see that coming. I'm not sure about anyone else. Um, but just a disappointing result for a Wake Forest team that I think still had something to play for. I mean, with one loss there, you never know what's going to happen uh, uh, in the ACC. We'll break down the divisions a little bit later, but by no means was dead in the water. Yeah, and I mean, um, I still think, you know, I agree with you. I still think Sam Hartman's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Um, I think this game 
looks a lot worse for Wake than it is. I think every once in a while, every few years, you have a game where everything possible just goes wrong. Um, and, and I mean, eight second half turnovers is insane. Like eight out of 10 drives in the second half, they gave the ball to Louisville. And yeah, you're not going to win that game. You're not going to stay within 28 points in that game. And so um, this is just one of those moments, I think. And then quick, um, quick shout out again. Um, anytime that I, I watch one of these and someone stands out to me um, and is probably a stud, I, I will mention it to you as well. Although college football fans um, who watch all these games will probably already know about this person, but um, Yasir Abdullah for Louisville, um, outside linebacker, defensive end, absolute stud. Um, we're talking probably be, you know, at least second team all ACC here should be a decently high draft pick. Um, he just wrecked, he just absolutely, you know, wrecked this game uh, for the Demon Deacons. So shout out to him um, in, in that defense, but he was a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, multiple QB hurries, a sack, tackle for a loss, seven other tackles. Great game for him. He was, he's, he's just flying around. All right, maybe one more game we'll touch on in the ACC. How about UNC beating Pitt 42-24? to um, I was on UNC um, for this game. Uh, Kev, did you have a pick in this one? I can't remember. No, I, I, I didn't. I kind of had what you had going on with uh, Notre Dame where I was in agreement that I thought UNC was a good pick here, but I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, choose it as one of mine. Yeah, so um, – you know, I caught highlights of this game. I looked through the stats a little bit. Um, this was a game where UNC is just the better team. They scored 28 unanswered points in this game. Um, they had the best player on the field. Drake May remains an absolute baller. At this point in the season, he's now 29 touchdowns to three interceptions. Um, their future um, and the future of that offense under Drake May is very bright. Um, and you know, um, good win for them. Pitt is not a good team. Um, UNC did what they had to do. They did what they should do. Um, and they, you know, I think played up to their potential and, um, I think, you know, I'm just pretty excited to watch Drake May and the Tar Heels play some more ball this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, another team that, a little bit difficult to evaluate. I think we have to give credit where credit is due. Seven and one. Um, probably still looking for a, a truly marquee win. Um, you know, last week, we, we already talked about Pittsburgh. The week prior, you know, beat Duke by three. Um, that was in Durham. Um beat Miami, beat Virginia Tech, but just kind of victims of a weaker ACC. Probably the best team they've played is Notre Dame, and they did lose that game. Um, so kind of still somewhat of a question mark as a team. Um, a couple weeks ago in our first episode, I said Dark Horse Heisman candidate. I had Drake May. Um, I would stand by that pick. Um, I don't think he'll win it, but – a couple things fall the right way. Um, I believe the ACC championship game is a couple hours before uh, the uh, trophy ceremony. I forget if the picks are already in by then or not. I forget if they submit those ballots Friday night. If they don't, do I think there is a world in which, you know, um, 
the the couple front runners fall down and he puts up six tutties against Clemson and takes it home. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a possibility. And I mean, he's one of those guys that's just super fun to watch. So you could see why the voters might want to tune in and just watch him ball out against Pitt, 34 of 44 for 388 yards and five touchdowns to zero interceptions. Dude is just having himself days. Yeah, and you've got to think that probably um, an early uh, look ahead for number one pick in the draft here just looks looks the part in, in every which way as well absolute stud has the pedigree as well his brother if you if uh for those who didn't know was um a uh, forward center for the north carolina basketball team too so has that athletic pedigree about him yeah and i know we talked about this just real briefly offline but um drake may is kind of the kind of guy i want jj to kind of evolve into for michigan i don't think jj's there yet um but flashes a little bit of the arm talent and a little bit of the leg talent that Drake may brings to the table. And the way that UNC offense plays feels like you could pair some of those concepts with the powerful Michigan running game. And I, I just like what I see out of Drake may it makes me a little bit jealous. Yeah. I mean, you put, you put what Drake may is doing right now on this, on this Michigan football team. And it, it would be scary. Um, not to say that JJ can get there, but um, we just don't know. But we'll talk a little bit more, obviously, about Michigan-Ohio State, our favorite topic ever, you know, moving forward here. Okay, should we go? Should we get into a little uh, everyone's favorite Southeastern Conference? Ah, the Southeastern Conference. Sure, why don't we start with, I don't know, you want to start with a shellacking or a gentle shellacking? Uh, a gentle shellacking. A gentle shellacking it is. How about Georgia 42 Florida 20 in that rivalry game, a game where Florida stuck around for a little bit in spurts. There was one point, I think, in the third quarter where this was maybe a uh, second quarter, uh, no, third quarter where this was a one score game um, after Florida clawed back a little bit with 17 points in the third, um, but not a game that ever really felt like Georgia was going to lose. I don't know. What'd you think of this one, Kev? Yeah. So I actually, maybe this, um, excuse my view of this game a little bit, but I happened to tune into this game actually right when Florida was making this comeback. And I was like, Whoa, you know, um, what's happening here. I think it was 28 to three. Um, Florida has like one legitimate drive, you know, where Anthony Richardson does the thing where he's back to being Cam Newton. Um, and then I think there was, I forget, there was a turnover with a short field. That was either a touchdown or a field goal. Another touchdown got punched in. All of a sudden you look up and there's 17 quick points and it's 28-20. Georgia pulls away after that. Um, and then again, you know, not tooting my own horn here, but then, t- you know, finishes at 42-20, um, you know, taking Florida and those 23 points never in doubt. Um, toot, toot! But, um I guess my bigger takeaway for this game was I don't think Florida is a very good team. I do think they are just like many of these other kind of a little bit down power programs. They have some good players. Richardson can do some things. Um, You know, ETN, it looks like a stud as a true freshman running back. Obviously he has that pedigree as well. His brother, which is pretty cool. His brother plays for the Jags and this game was in Jacksonville. So that was pretty cool. I wonder if uh, I didn't see his brother in the stands or anything, but that's uh, just kind of a cool side point. I didn't Florida just didn't look like they turned it back on, but 
Um, Florida, to me, also, I mean, Georgia, excuse me, just looks like a team that just, I don't know if they have the guys on the outside. I, this is such a uniquely built, very good team. I mean, they have the tight ends and Brock Bowers. I totally get that. He's an absolute stud, one of the best players in the country for sure. But they don't have that, even like George Pickens on the outside. They just don't have those guys right now. And I wonder if that's going to come back to bite them. Yeah, I mean, it feels like Georgia is, I don't know, just not quite the juggernaut that they were last year. Um, Stetson Bennett, I don't know. He kind of feels similar to last year where, like, maybe he's a guy, maybe he's not quite that guy. And this one, he's a 50% completion game with two touchdowns and two interceptions. I I don't know. Um with the landscape of college football this year, Georgia's going to need a nice game out of Stetson down the stretch in a couple of these big games in addition to beating teams the way they normally do in the trenches and just by overpowering them on both sides of the ball. Um, and I don't know, when you look up against the other quarterbacks and the other type of teams that Georgia's going to play down the stretch, I know I'm leaking into our preview of next week's game and you know the SEC championship down the line if they win next week. I'm just not sure Stetson Bennett and this Georgia team has the same firepower to make it deep in the playoffs like they did last year. Um, This is a nice win, a rivalry win um, with a Florida team that's been feisty and you certainly don't want to get into trouble. They kind of let them claw their way back a little bit. But as soon as Florida looked like they had a chance in that game, kind of right as you tuned in, Kev, I'm sure you saw Georgia just kind of put the foot on the throat and just kind of squeeze the life out of that game. Um, and so Georgia is still elite. They are one of the top five teams in college football. I just don't think they stand in that top couple of teams with their head and shoulders above the three, four, five, like they did last year. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And then we always get into the conversation, which there's no way to ever know is, is this an elite team playing with their food or is this an elite team that is vulnerable? Um, and that's, what's hard to know. I mean, what, what did concern me is when I turned it on, what part of what sparked the Florida comeback was just an absolutely terrible interception. I mean, the one I saw, if you guys are watching the game, I turned it, I turned it on and it was the, um, down the left sideline. I mean, Stetson Bennett threw it to a, a defensive back who it's never a good sign when by the time the ball enters the screen with a def- defensive back, his, his feet are already planted. Like he watched the eyes and just caught it. And I was just like, man, I don't, you know, and you never know. It looked like possibly was it a was it a blown route or something. I mean, that's that's very possible. Um, but he had a couple picks, poor completion percentage for the entire game. Um, Stetson just makes you a little nervous. He doesn't feel like he's necessarily going to win you a big game, and he kind of feels a little shaky at times. So, you yeah. know, I bet there's a good portion of the Georgia fan base who's not too happy um with Stetson's at least Stetson's performances this year yeah and so I think with them you know to be to to be determined um but I guess just kind of one you know parting note on these teams and we'll get into this more a little bit later but it's harder for me to not look at the top teams in the country right now and distinctly group Georgia Michigan I think we agree there's two elite conferences it's the SEC and it's the Big Ten and if people want to say that the SEC is a step ahead of the Big Ten in total championships, I'll give you that. They have one. They have one more, especially recently. Um, 
However, if we're just talking about having those couple elite teams compared to others, you know, you've got Georgia defense, power football, Michigan defense, power football. You've got Ohio state and Tennessee who are then um, going to be the uh, defense selectively get stops or turnovers. And then offense just overpowers you with scoring in bunches with long, especially pass plays. Bama is kind of their own hybrid of those two. But it, it's hard for me to not look at these and say, wow, man, I really think Tennessee's like Ohio State. I really think Michigan's like Georgia. Yeah, I guess we'll get a kind of a quick little window into what that game might be like next week. Excited to yeah. watch that one. Speaking of Tennessee, um, Pat, did you were you on this one? I was on this one. I had Tennessee. I thought Tennessee was going to blow out Kentucky. Um, I can't remember what I actually said on the pod when we recorded, but this was a matchup to me where Will Levis and Kentucky just did not have anywhere near the firepower to keep up with Tennessee in this game. I thought this one would be a blowout like it was. I actually took both Tennessee against the spread and then also a touchdown beyond the normal spread. Um, So this one kind of made my day pretty good. But Tennessee, um, like I thought, um, is just a much, much better team than Kentucky at this point, Um, offensively, defensively, in every way. Um, You you know, little asterisks on the defensive side. I think Kentucky has a decent defense. Um, But Hendon Hooker, Hyatt, um, that entire offense, you know, you could just list names and names and names, small, right, um, hooker on the ground was great. Um, they just dominated Tennessee start to Tillman's back. Sorry, dominated Kentucky. Oh, sorry. What'd you say, Kev? And, and Tillman's back now. Oh yeah. And Tillman, um, he got on the field a little bit, got into the game a little bit. Yep. Um, so man, Tennessee just has a great offensive roster top to bottom. I don't know if you saw this Kev, but there are is already the Josh Heupel rumors to the NFL kind of sprinkling out there a lot of reported interest from NFL eyes. Um, so obviously not unexpected. Tennessee is um, rolling and um, in what we talked about a little bit as like a pretty big look ahead spot um, with a massive game next week in Georgia. Tennessee wanted no part of that. Hypel talked about it, how they wanted to get out fast early in this game, not worry about those things, and they did exactly that. Yeah. Um, I mean, just ab- absolutely rolled them. This was never close. Uh, you know, kind of a Kentucky thanks for showing up game. Um, you know, I don't want to get into too much the – SEC versus other conferences, probably normally specifically the Big Ten. But I mean, how how good is Kentucky really? I mean, I, I mentioned this, I think, in a previous show, but do, I don't know if there's a more overrated player in the country than Will Levis. I mean, I, I get it. He's 6'4", and he's 230 pounds, and he looks, you know, he might look a little bit like Josh Allen. Well, he doesn't play like Josh Allen at all. Um, I mean, what did he had Under 100 yards passing, I think. He's going to the NFL, man. Somebody's going to take him and be I mean, like, we're really him. happy with the unmeasurables and we're going to surround him with a bunch of studs. And I'm with you, man. I'm not sure I see – like, I see all the raw bits. Um, but he, when he puts it all together on a team that I'll, I'll give him some credit, his offensive line isn't very good. But, um, man, it just – it doesn't seem like the pieces all come together for Levis. Yeah, I I, mean, I just don't – it's like – I mean, there's talk of him being um, 
the number one overall pick, and I just don't, I don't see it. I would have expected a little more from this team. I think that it had, to some extent, there has to be like his hype driving this because overall, I mean, I think Kentucky can they can run it a little bit. Um, they do have some some pieces on defense. I know in this game they lost their best defensive player, um, squared. I think his name is. I, so I totally get that. I think you can't discount that, but. Um, just n- not really any leadership. No, like I'm gonna fight back. This game was at home, I think. Was or was this at Tennessee? So is that Georgia, or sorry, at Kentucky? Yeah, so right. at, I mean, Wait, I mean, I don't know. You I, just get, I don't know. I just got all confused. <laughs> you just get you just get blown out. Um, at home, I believe. Um, so, I, all right. So let me just make sure this wasn't at. No, it was at Tennessee. This okay, was at Tennessee. This so was better. at Tennessee. I mean, yeah. Because well, uh, if, if we're at home, that would we'll be make tough. up for our little blunder there on the home field and just um, give Tennessee some credit for what looks like one of the best home field um, atmospheres in college football right now. Kev, have you seen what they've been doing with their night games with the lights and the entrances? Yeah, and I'm, I'm admittedly jealous that Michigan doesn't do something like oh that. Oh, my God. Why don't we do that stuff, man? We have all the – like, all they do is just flicker the lights, and it, the atmosphere before the games there has just looked absolutely incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I – you know, we'll, we'll see how sustained that is. Obviously, they – this is the – it seems like teams normally go through rebuilding phases, and it's like Tennessee kind of had a rebuilding year last year, and it's like, boom, now they're just here like out of almost out of nowhere. Like, are they going to, we'll see what happens with the ranking show tonight, but I mean, I think there's a chance that they're the top team in the country and no wonder, no wonder Nylon's rocking like that. Yeah. One thing that'll never go away is that Tennessee fan base. They are rabid. Yeah. And Rob, I'll admit, I, I, maybe it's just because I haven't heard it in a while. Maybe it'll get annoying, but right now I do enjoy a uh, Rocky top. Oh dude. How can you not enjoy a Rocky top? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. All right, one last game in the SEC. Uh, number 15, Ole Miss, uh, 31, Texas A&M, 28. Kev, any thoughts on this game? Um, Lane Kiffin had some pretty funny comments after the game, um, just about you know running all over five stars. Um, my guy, Judkins, like I said, that true freshman who I had mentioned before, um, had a mon- over 200 yards, I believe. Absolutely monster game for Old Miss. Um, they have a, they have a great rushing attack. Um, maybe can't necessarily beat you with Jackson Dart through the air, um, but nonetheless, the, the rushing attack and they got Zach Evans back there too is pretty elite. Um, Texas A&M. I don't even know what to say. It's like they don't they don't get blown out by anybody. I feel like they can – I feel like right now there's no one who would blow them out, but I, I don't know if there's many teams in the Power Five where I would guarantee they would win. I I can't figure this team out at all. Um, the Texas Jim, A&M money line bet has to be like one of the most uncomfortable things in the world right now. Yeah, I, I just – I can't I can't put my finger on them. I can't figure out I, – I think Wegman – did Wegman start? Um, he may he he played a lot. If he didn't, you know, I was I was flicking between this and something else. If yeah. Wegman didn't, so Wegman, you know, for those who don't know, is kind Wegman of Wegman did start. 
yeah, he's he's their he's their true freshman five star quarterback from Texas. You, you know, obviously that Haynes King was the more mobile quarterback. He was playing more um, earlier in the year. They went to the bat. They went to a backup quarterback. Now they're with um, Max Johnson, and now they're here with uh, Wegman. Wegman didn't have a bad game either by any means. I mean, he threw for 300 plus and four touchdowns. Yeah. Um, and it's just, and it's just, again, it's like, it just seems like it's not enough. It's never enough. They, it's like when they, they only play offense when they need enough offense to just lose. I, I can't, I can't put my finger on this team. Um, I would be really interested to talk to someone who really follows AM football and just pick their brain about what, I mean, where do you think this is going with Jimbo Fisher and Yeah, man, know, it's man. tough to kind of think about where what the trajectory here with Jimbo is. I mean, in times like this where teams just can't play up to their potential and really just can't put anything together in a meaningful way, I mean, certainly trickles up to the head coach and I think any questions about Jimbo right now are certainly reasonable. As for old miss uh, coming off that loss to LSU, LSU looks pretty good. Um, I wouldn't write. I think Old Miss is a is flawed. Um, but I wouldn't write them off. Whenever you have a running attack that's that explosive, if you break off a couple big ones, you get up big. They could they could give a couple of these other you know, SEC West opponents a scare. Um, we'll see in the coming weeks. I to me they are not a true contender though i just I, I think they're a little too flawed at this point yeah i don't really see them as a true contender either i just don't see them lining up well against alabama the eventual sec championship game and beyond so i don't really view them in that light but i do think they're quietly putting together a pretty nice season jackson dart quietly with another nice game um through the air and i mean they have a really nice chance at like a new year's type of bowl yeah, so I mean, Old Miss next week has a bye. Uh, after that, they get Bama at home. You know, um, the Grove will be rocking for that, obviously, uh, at Old Miss. Um, then they're at Arkansas and home against Mississippi State. I would feel pretty good about those last two games if they can get Bama. Um, I mean, I think there's an outside shot that they represent uh, the West, but obviously, I think LSU will have a say in that as well. Yeah. All right. Why don't we take things over to the Big 12? Um, definitely a couple games to talk about there. Why don't we start with our biggest contender um, with college football playoff rankings coming out tonight for the first time. Uh, TCU chugs along 41-31 over West Virginia to stay undefeated. Yeah. Um, I think TCU's offense is legit. Um I think Duggan has done a good job of throwing down the field this year. He's, he has put up some numbers that should put him in the Heisman conversation, not at the top, but in the conversation. Um, again, we've talked about Quentin Johnston on the outside is an absolute stud might be the best receiver in the country overall. Um, I know there's some other guys, probably Marvin Harrison jr. Has a, has a, you know, a say in that. Um, but I mean, they, they, they also run it. Um, so I think offensively, um, they're the real deal. Uh, I think the question is going to be, can their defense get enough stops to 
really put them in a position to win some of these bigger games if they get the chance down the road. Yeah, and I, I think if you're talking about that, you're it's got to be a question about what type of success are you talking about? Like, do you think they have enough defense to win the Big 12? I certainly do. Um, do I think they have enough defense to make the playoff? It doesn't really matter what they do. It's kind of going to depend on other teams. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. I don't think they have the defense to necessarily hang with a lot of teams in college football playoff matchups. That being said, I think TCU probably has one of the most explosive offenses in the country, and they go ham on offense, dude. Like, they just pop off for these 50, 70-yard plays constantly, all game. They are a nightmare to cover. Um, they live and die a little bit by the big play, but they've been able to get the big play in every single game they've played all season. So um, they're a pretty battle-tested team at this point now. I mean, we've talked about them a, f- a couple weeks in a row now. They – have been in a lot of close games in fourth quarters, second halves. Um, and I would be pretty pumped up if I was a Horned Frog fan. I mean, this team looks good. They're fun to watch. They um, are making a splash in the conference with a really good chance to win it all. And, um, yeah, I mean, great spot for, for TCU. And I think, you know, they got to hope for a couple things to shake their way um down the stretch this season for college football playoff stuff but you know they have a chance to go undefeated and be the big 12 champs coming up for tcu uh home against texas tech then away in austin against the longhorns away against baylor and then home um iowa state uh i i would not say that at baylor is a gimme but i think they'll probably be a favorite in that game uh, the big test probably is at Texas. Um, Honestly, I think the big test is just all of them combined. Like that's a hard slate of four games. The Big Twelve's crazy. They just like cannibalize each other. When you lay the slate out like that, it seems tough for TCU to win all four of those games. I will admit, though, some of, some of these results recently in the Big Twelve have led me to believe more. Um, you know, when we talk about cannibalizing themselves. Um, my question is, is that because they're all pretty good or are they all pretty mediocre? Um, and I that's think if they're all pretty mediocre. Yeah, I think so too. I, I'm not convinced that, which I think doesn't really bode well for TCU. I think at the end of the year, we might look back at this and be like, oh, they have all these, you know, ranked wins. And, but I, I I'm not necessarily sure when hindsight's 2020, what a lot of these games are really going to look like, um, especially the next game where we're going to talk about it. I, we'll, we'll see, but I, I'm not convinced that there's anyone in the, in the Big 12 that's really that much of a power. But TCU has done what it has to thus far, and I think they deserve credit for that. Oh, yeah, and I think they look like a pretty good team. Um, one more thing before we move on from that game. There was a pretty crazy play in this game where TCU muffed a punt because um, – a blocker on TCU blocker got blocked into them, uh, into the returner. Um, the guy muffed the kick. Um, and the way the refereeing of this play worked out is they basically had to go to review, um, on a clear penalty, um, to review whether he, the returner catch the ball. And they ended up over, (laughs) they ended up ruling that it was a muffed kick because they obviously couldn't review the penalty, but what a just ridiculous referee situation that was. Yeah, I, I haven't I didn't do a deep dive into this, but um I saw the play that you're referencing and I, I just I can't figure I can't really explain it. Can't figure it out. 
All right. Well, we're not going to solve that one. So moving on, we will go to the other big uh, game in the Big 12. Um, Oklahoma State puts up zero points. Kansas State, 48. Wow. This game was... I, you know, I thought Kansas State was going to win this game. I picked Kansas State. I had no idea that Oklahoma State was going to look this bad. They basically did nothing this game. Um, and, you know, I thought that they would come in kind of banged up from their past couple of big games um, where they had looked okay but not great and kind of limped through. And I kind of thought this was the one where they'd slip. But, man, this was a massive slip. Um for Kansas State, I mean, they destroyed them. Will Howard and Deuce Vaughn just went crazy in this game. Um, and on the other side of the ball, you know, Sanders looked banged up. He didn't look like – he didn't look effective. He didn't look like he could run the full playbook. The run game basically didn't exist in this game for Oklahoma State. Um, and so, you know, this is this is a game where you kind of – like you almost want to hem and haw a little bit and be like, Big 12 is crazy. Neither of these teams are probably all that good. But, dude, Oklahoma State was a top 10 team in the country. This is a joke of a performance from them. Yeah, the, I can't remember a game like this, um, especially from, like, a Mike Gundy team. I don't know. I mean, yeah, these guys often get left out of the college football playoff by, you know, a hair. But And you can criticize them all you want for maybe not winning the big one. But, you know, like Baylor, whatever that was last year, two years ago, barely lost. I mean, that's kind of their M.O. is is putting they, they put up a fight every time. And there was no fight in this game. This was this was a white flag. Um, you just you got to hope that he gets into that locker room and basically just says, hey, this is a crazy one off. We just throw this tape in the trash, I would assume. Um, and we get back to what we do because if not, this is like a this is like a um, program changing performance. I mean, I, this this was this was as bad as the score looks, if not worse. Yeah, I mean, I think we can just leave it at that and move on from that. Um, <clears throat> over to the conference, the last conference that we're going to talk about today, the Big Ten. Two big games on that one. Um, why don't we start off with the noon game, um, Ohio State and Penn State. We talked a lot about this one. Ohio State wins 44-31. to 31. We talked a little bit before the game about scripts, whether this was the OSU blowout script or they're just world beaters and better than Penn State, or whether this was one of those James Franklin scripts where Penn State kind of dinks and dunks and claws and kind of stays in the game till the very end, and then Ohio State either pulls away or Penn State loses in heartbreak fashion, and I don't know. I feel pretty good. I feel like I nailed those two scripts and I think we got the second. Yeah. Um, I, I completely agree. I think this is, this is a classic game where if you did not watch any of it, um, the score is not quite indicative of what happened. Um, I mean, Penn state was up 21, 16 in the fourth. Yeah. I mean, with a legitimate chance to, I know I was texting you um, with a legitimate chance to, um, make some noise here um this I, I i'll be honest i'll say this this is probably the game of the weekend for a specific team in ohio state where i can't decide if i feel better or worse about them after this game on one hand i look at it and i say um 
I think Penn State's a pretty good team. I think Penn State happens to be um, in, you can argue, if if the Big Ten East or the, the SEC uh, East are the is the best conference, I mean, best division in football. They're 1A, 1B. Um, but, you know, a, like, is a team bad just because they, they – um, play a pretty good game against Georgia and they get whooped by Tennessee. I don't think so. I don't think just because you get whooped by Michigan and then play Ohio State pretty well, it makes you a bad team. Um, so on one hand, I think that Ohio State gets credit. They played them on the road. It was a hard-fought game. Penn State played well. Ohio State fought back and proved it was the better team and made the big plays it needed to. I think that's important. On the other hand, they looked vulnerable to me and they looked mortal. Um, I thought there was a chance they were going to lose in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State puts up 20 points in six minutes of gameplay near the end of the game, and that kind of won the game for them, obviously. Um, But yeah, there was times during this game um, where Penn State looked like they had a legitimate shot to kind of hang on to their lead and win the game. Um, There was also a, I think this was like a short fourth down in the red zone that Penn State didn't convert. Um, So there was points left on the table here, too. Um, I kind of feel like you do in this situation. Like I would kind of know what to take from this game. Like this, I do feel like this is a really impressive win for Ohio state. This was the first time they got tested, um, by anyone other than Notre Dame at the peak of their kind of beginning of their struggles. Um, and Penn state, I I still think Penn state is a good football team. I know we saw how they played against Michigan and how they played against Ohio state. I agree with you. I think they are a really good football team. Um, and you know, I, I think this is an impressive win for Ohio state to go on the road, um, kind of battle through not having to lead for a little bit, having some things not go their way. Um, and you know, I think if you're an Ohio state fan, you're probably not too upset that Ohio state got punched a little bit in a game where they ended up winning relatively comfortably. Um, because you kind of need those moments um, throughout your season to kind of build up a little bit of a callus on your team. Um, that being said, you know, I do see what, you, what you're what you saying. There were some times where Ohio State looked pretty vulnerable in this game. Um, C.J. Stroud did not look like a world beater at all times in this game. Um, and as a Michigan fan, you know, every time you watch Ohio State play, you're kind of thinking a little bit about the matchup at the end of the season. And there was times throughout this game where I felt like, you know, even on the road, Michigan might be able to beat this Ohio State team with a similar game plan to last year where they just kind of keep them off, keep their offense off the field a little bit. They control the game. They score when they have to because Ohio State doesn't always look like the world beaters that they can look like. Yeah, agreed. And I think that, um, you know, again, while one unit, I think their pass game was good. I don't think their past game had the full game consistency that you would want to necessarily see. If you're an Ohio state fan, we do have to talk about their defensive line. I mean, now, um, hopefully I don't butcher his last name, but JT to a Mo Loau, um, isn't, uh, from Washington state as a recruit, um, absolute monster. Um, you know, the guy is a defensive end with true pass rush skills with the size, but also moves like a small tight end. Um, I mean, this guy's incredible. He had um, two interceptions, pick six, fum- forced fumble, fumble recovery, tackle for loss, I, I, absolute monster. Um, so it's while 
their past game maybe didn't put together the whole game that sealed it the way you'd want to earlier. Now it's like, man, we know Zach Harrison's a guy on the outside. Now JT's also there in the outside. Are we looking at a more formidable or formidable defensive line here for Ohio State, which I think would be huge for them? Yeah, I think they they have shown they could definitely look a little bit better at that position. Um, all right, we'll take it over to Ann Arbor for uh, the game I was at and you watched from home. Uh, Michigan um, hosts uh, Michigan State in the rivalry game, um, takes Paul Bunyan back home to Ann Arbor. Uh, final score 29 to 7 in that one. Um, you know, this was why don't I start with a little bit of the good in this game and then we'll talk a little bit about some areas where I think Michigan needs to do a little bit better. Um, I think the good is this game was never really a game. I think Michigan controlled this game um, the entire time. Uh, Michigan's defense looked elite, um, gave up 1.6 yards per carry to MSU on the ground. Um, traditionally, the way Michigan State has been able to beat Michigan over the years. Um, Jake Moody is an absolute stud. Five field goals for Michigan in this game. Um, and Blake Corum just remains absolutely lethal nightmare for defenses um in this game he just looked even better at running through tackles kind of bowling ball low to the ground stumbling forward for more yards not going down it truly is amazing how much he can stay up at his size um and then why don't I let you touch a little bit on the good from this game Kevin and then I'm sure we both want to talk a little bit about some of the red zone struggles yeah, um, I mean, I, I concur that about uh, Blake Corm, obviously another big game, goes for over 150 yards, gets in the end zone twice. Um, putting himself in a good position uh, on, a, on a personal note to possibly go to New York. I don't think that he's sealed that deal by any means yet, but doing a great job. Um, again, pretty good uh, performance from the offensive line, pretty good performance from um, the defense. Um, I think that when you look at Michigan's performance here, it, it kind of just kind of, you know, reaffirmed things we already knew. The strengths were the strengths. And I think that this game doesn't really prove a ton because what we knew coming in was that Michigan's strengths were probably enough to lean on those. And we didn't really have to do too much else to, to win this game. Um, I think that's kind of how it turned out. Um, our strengths match pretty well with um, Michigan State's weaknesses. Yeah. And then, so I think where a lot of – if there's any angst from Michigan after this game, and, and I kind of lean towards the side where there doesn't need to be much angst after this game, we comfortably dominated Michigan State in a rivalry game that we have not had much success in in recent history. So th this was a great performance for Michigan. But I think people will want to talk a little bit about the red zone. Um, and how Michigan ended up with five field goals this game, despite moving the ball pretty well, and only got two touchdowns, one off the benefit um, of a special team snafu for Michigan State. Um, so the red zone, I think, is an issue. And, you know, I think we need to be more effective in the red zone. Um, but um, I also think it's kind of two-faceted. First of all, I think we need to you know, I think Michigan just needs to convert better. They need to be a little more dynamic and they need to be able to convert those opportunities a little bit more. But I also think part of what's leading into the increased field goals for Michigan um, is just a little bit of understanding of our opponent and conservative gameplay. And I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. For example, uh, against Michigan State, there was multiple opportunities where Michigan had the chance to kick a field goal to go up an additional score in the red zone. They were dealt with like kind of a third and medium. 
And I think Michigan understands that, you know, when they have the lead and they have the ball, that the way they're going to lose to teams like Michigan State is to turn the ball over. And so I think a little bit of conservative play and a little bit of kind of choosing safer options when three points mean a lot on the scoreboard. Um, I think that's kind of why this game ended up the way it did. So I think too fast, room for improvement, but I also think it doesn't really tell the full story. Yeah, uh, I'd agree with that. I think some of it's definitely situational. Um, I think a big thing for Michigan is going to come down to, again, does Harbaugh have one in the chamber for Ohio State and say that we can run on all these other teams? And then all of a sudden we see a couple more plays to Roman Wilson, Donovan Edwards, even throw in an A.J. Henning, stuff like that. Or can we not really throw the ball downfield yet? Um, that's going to be, uh, um, you know, uh, one of the big takeaways for me is, is we'll, we'll see. Only he knows the answer to that. Um, maybe we get a, you know, looking ahead a little bit, maybe we see a close one against Illinois where he has to pull out a couple of those. I don't know. I think we'll probably do the same thing against Illinois. Um, but I think that would be a good, um, good segue couple things about um michigan state here um keon coleman i've known about this guy for a while just because i keep up with recruiting stuff um i knew him even as a basketball recruit out of louisiana actually i think he would have been a much larger recruit he actually went to a pretty small school there um absolute stud great size you can argue about the push off or not push off whatever the guy goes up high points that ball he's going to be a problem and a problem you know for a while until he goes he'll be playing on sundays Surprise. Yeah, that, that was not a push off either. That yeah. was just a, he just mossed him. He's yeah. I mean, he's a Keon Coleman uh, stud. Um, Jaden Reed surprised. They didn't go to him a little bit more. You know, maybe they just thought that the size of Coleman presented a little bit more of the problem. So he got more of those 50, 50 balls. However, yeah, I mean, I think- watching their offense kind of move down the field. Um, Keon Coleman was the best thing they had going all game. I like, yeah, I was surprised they didn't go to Jaden Reed as much either. But like at, at one point in the game, I was surprised they didn't just keep going to Coleman. I mean, he was their one offensive outlet in that game, and he had the mismatch. And I don't know, I felt like they could have used him a little more because he looked nasty all game. Makes and you know, I'll admit, it makes me a little bit concerned that oh, hey, uh, you know, great wide receiver uh, gives Michigan problems. There's a team um, in Ohio that has Uh-oh. a lot of receivers, so um, that concerned me a little bit. Um, on the other side of the ball, um, Xavier Henderson, stud. Stud. Um, he, I mean, ev- was everywhere. You know what I mean? Like on those goal, he's, you know, even on the goal line stands, he's making plays in the backfield. Um, so for Michigan State, obviously disappointing year. Um, but uh, they definitely have some players. Yeah, and then I think, you know, uh, this has been kind of beaten to death all over sports media, but we'll talk about it just briefly. There was some after-the-game antics in this one. Uh, the tunnel became another focal point of conversation after, um, you know, it looked like Michigan State's team kind of went in first with some Michigan players sprinkled through. We found out after the game in Harbaugh's press conference that um, allegedly, there were some assaults um, from some Michigan State players on Michigan's Jemon Green and uh, Jaden McBurrows, um, who had kind of walked in early. There were some pretty um, discomforting and disconcerting videos that came out kind of right after um, the night of the game and into the next day. And it doesn't look great, Kev. You know, it, it's, it's a really unfortunate situation. It, there's helmets being swung. Um 
regardless, you know, of, of whatever we don't see on video in terms of instigation and all that, it, it just is an unfortunate look and um, a, a bad look for the rivalry overall. And I'd say for Michigan State and the players that participated. Yeah, completely agree. Um, it takes away from the, you know, it takes away from the game. But I mean, I think, first of all, we have to remember these are in general 17, 18 to like 22, 23 year old young adults, um, their safety obviously comes first. Um, football is a violent game. These players sign up to play this game. Their families know that. Um, but you want to do everything you can to be able to allow them to play this game safely. Um, so player safety is always going to be the highest concern. And this obviously jeopardizes something like that. Um, everyone's come out and made statements about it. You know, no one, everyone's agreeing that it's completely unacceptable. Um, We'll let more information come out. Supposedly there are more videos and supposedly that, you know, they're looking into um, police action for this. We do get into this weird zone of where I think we can all agree that if this happens on the football field, flags are thrown. If this happens in the parking lot outside, the police are called. Now we're in the tunnel um what does that exactly mean um you know i don't think you or i necessarily have the answer for it but it's this gray zone that we're we're about to um find out um i think that a weird intersection yeah definitely and i think that you know as we go forward one thing we should we should remember too um is that you know don't paint with like this huge broad brush and say this this is everybody you know for example when i was watching you know i watched one of one of the videos and ironically it was xavier henderson yeah dude he was leading his team getting his team into the locker room which makes a lot of sense to me you know what i mean it seems like that the um you know the though he's obviously a, a great player on the field wants to keep that stuff on the field doesn't want that to trickle into locker room he's a leader on the team um so um, bad look for the sport of college football. Um, bad look for everybody involved. Um, and then I'll let you, I mean, what are your thoughts on the tunnel? We've obviously had the tunnel brought up. James Franklin brought up the tunnel and the fact there's one tunnel after the game. What, what do you think? Yeah. So I got a couple thoughts on that. You know, first, just kind of like you said, I, I just props, I think to Michigan state, it's always tough to give some props when something bad like this happens. But I think the response from, uh, the program was honestly pretty good. You know, we got a quick four suspensions for some people that were involved. I think we'll continue to see some response trickle through this week as the additional videos are gone through. Um, but you didn't hear a lot of excuses and you didn't hear a lot of blame about the tunnel. You didn't hear a lot of stuff about that. You kind of heard accountability from Tuck and, um, you, you know, I, I just kind of appreciated. I thought their response was pretty strong to start. As far as the tunnel, man, you know, the tunnel's been a news story now for a few weeks this season. Um, So you're going to hear a lot of people saying, oh, you know, like this is like the third tunnel incident this year. Let's break down those incidents before we just start saying there's been three crazy incidents in the tunnel this year. One was uh, the last game of last season, um, Ohio State at home. Um, there was some yelling at halftime by separated teams kind of jawing at each other with people flicking the bird at each other. There was no physical stuff at all. Um, second one was Penn state halftime last week or sorry. Uh, yeah, recently. Um, and that one, uh, was what PB and J's were thrown from the locker room at people. 
okay, so yeah, a shared tunnel is going to get some John back and forth between teams, and it's going to be a little chippy. I mean, we saw it in the NFL on the Sunday night game with Buffalo with Diggs um, and the Packers DB John as they came down the tunnel. Like, shared tunnels exist. Michigan has been using a shared tunnel for decades and decades and decades, and we've never really had anything like this. So I don't think this is so much a reflection of the tunnel. But now that this has happened a couple times, now that this event happened, I do think Michigan should respond to this event in the tunnel, but it's because of the event in the tunnel um, and to protect stuff like that from happening again and not because of the tunnel is the problem to begin with. This has happened with one game under one event with one group of people. Um, and, you know, I don't know exactly what went on in the tunnel, but this is not like it's happened a bunch. This was a, a, an isolated situation that I think Michigan should respond to appropriately and keep the players safe moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, both in this is a situation where both things can be true. The behavior that led to um, this incident in the tunnel is unacceptable and also we may need to revisit the tunnel and whether um you know we whether there needs to be a hard rule about one team goes in first and the other team and you know we have increased security or um the bottom line is there have been issues there have been issues with the tunnel i don't think that that um the tunnel makes anyone behave in the way that we saw However, I think that um, that's not to say that there it was not a contributing factor. Um, and again, if we care most importantly about the safety of the players, if it is safer for players to take separate tunnels, then there should be separate tunnels. Agreed. Just do the right thing now because this happened and keep everybody safe. Um, it'll be an interesting thing to watch kind of moving forward. Like you mentioned, the intersection of kind of criminality in sports and when does sport end and regular life begins and I find it intriguing from that standpoint you know I don't really feel strongly one way or another on charges I feel like that's kind of a difficult thing to think about but um, I'll let it play out in the legal system if it's going to and I just think it'll be an interesting thing to follow yeah all right and with that, I think that concludes our week nine recap. Patrick, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, just a really exciting week of college football coming up. I cannot wait to talk more about Tennessee versus Georgia. I think that decides so much in the college football season. Um, and I think uh, really intrigued to kind of see how these college football playoff rankings look tonight. Um, I think there could be, you know, I, I kind of think I agree with you. I think we might see Tennessee up there at the top. And these are the first rankings that finally matter. Um, so I'm excited for the week to come. Looking forward to talking with you later this week. Awesome. And then as a final, I guess it's just a final go away here. Um, we have drawn out what we think the top 10 uh, will look like. Uh, I'll go over my uh, top here first. So not what I think they should be, but what I think they're probably going to do tonight. Um, I'm going to go uh, number one, Tennessee. Number two, Georgia. Uh, I think that while they, they might not admit it, the committee looks at these things uh, ahead of time in upcoming um, matchups. And I think a one versus two matchup would sell. So I think they're going to put Tennessee, Georgia in one of those two positions. I think Tennessee just has a little bit better resume. So I think they'll go Tennessee one, Georgia two. 
Ohio State probably three, Michigan four, I'll go Clemson five, TCU at six, Bama at seven. Um, this one that gets a little bit weird. I have Oregon at eight. However, I think they will punish Oregon for that that really tough loss. I just think that it's Oregon and UCLA next, and usually they give the nod to the head-to-head. So at eight, I'll go Oregon. Nine, I'll go UCLA. Ten, I'm going to mix up a little bit and say that they're going to feel like they need to get another um, uh, another Big 12 team in there, again, just for some uh, ratings. I think they're going to put Kansas State in there at 10 as the top two-loss team, try to drive up a little uh, – Pac-12 hype. I mean, Big 12 hype, excuse me. All right. I mean, I think my top 10 is pretty similar to yours. I think uh, all the way through number seven, or actually number eight, we have everything exactly the same. Um, So I go Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, And and with Michigan there at four, I would say that uh, for me, four, five, and six feel largely interchangeable. Michigan, Clemson, TCU, I think there's arguments for each of them. Some teams have a better best win. Some teams have a um, closer um, call with a loss. Other teams have a harder overall schedule playing, you know, teams that are kind of medium strength throughout the season. So I I think there's arguments for each. I personally put Michigan, Clemson, TCU in that order. I think Bama follows them up there. And then I have Oregon at eight with you. And then to uh, end it off for me, I have USC on the back of that high firepower offense um, being there at nine. Um, and then I follow it up with their rivals, UCLA at 10. Awesome. All right. Well, that concludes our week nine recap. Uh, later this week, we will have a preview with some picks of um, the upcoming week 10 action. So, Thank you for joining us here at First and Inches, sponsored by Milwaukee Tool, nothing but heavy duty, and we will see you again later here in the week. 